Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. There may be statements from the Supreme Court. There are plenty of statements from media, statements from social media, statements from every Tom, Dick, and Harry, and Susie, and Laney, and Jane, and people who identify this way and that way and the other, everybody with an opinion on this story out of Politico, this leak from the Supreme Court that states that the court will overturn Roe v. Wade. A first draft from Justice Samuel Alito that shows that Amy Coney Barrett and Clarence Thomas and Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh all siding with the majority that Roe v. Wade is unconstitutional as I should actually say it differently that Roe v. Wade never should have been decided the way it was that the conversation of abortion should go back to the states it's unsure where Chief Justice John Roberts is will he have a concurrent opinion Will he uh, go with the dissent? Or is any of this real and legitimate? Based on what I have seen over the last 12 hours, because this broke last night, it certainly seems legitimate, but I will absolutely state it's possible uh, that it's not. We're going to hear, if we haven't already heard, from the Supreme Court, one has to assume that, man, they're wicked angry. The idea that something leaks and leaks of this magnitude plays into the politics that we hate and abhor, that the purpose of the leak was indeed to apply pressure to the court to not overturn Roe v. Wade, which does not eliminate the right to abortion in America. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. William Jacobson joins us right now, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. I want to get into the law aspect with you, the constitutionality argument, the idea of overturning, the history of overturning decisions in the United States uh, for the Supreme Court, and the idea of precedent. I want to get into that with you, but let's start with the top line. A leak from the Supreme Court is radically rare. What does this say to you? Well, what it says to me, if it is a leak and not a hack, but assuming it's a leak, that there are, you know, it's part of the radicalization of the legal profession. The, you know, end result uh, justifies the means. And we've seen this, we're seeing this trend growing in the legal profession. And so it, it says that, you, you know, uh, another institution is going to fall uh, under this onslaught um, from the left. And, and the Supreme Court will never be the same after this if this was, in fact, a leak. So when you talk about not being the same, one of the things that I looked into and I was reading about is that if you have a leak, you have a situation where staffs for these justices won't trust each other. Justices will look at other justices askew. Did someone say to do this? Did someone want to do this? It creates a, 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 a serious rifts and divisions Amongst the justices, SCOTUS blog being amongst the people uh, engaged in that conversation. Do you agree with that? Well, that's right. I mean, if you can't, because a first draft of anything may just be a thought piece. A first draft might be something where you're putting some ideas out there, seeing who will go along with it, seeing who, what the opposition is, and frankly, getting the pushback. 
And I think, you know, while I've never been a Supreme Court clerk, you know, having heard a lot of people who've spoken about that process, that that is part of the process, that just because Justice Alito writes a first draft doesn't mean really anything other than it's a first draft. So I think that it will disrupt that deliberative process, that give and take sort of process, uh, maybe that negotiation sort of process where you put together a majority. It will make that impossible uh, because nobody can trust anybody. Why would you put something in draft that maybe doesn't even 100% reflect your views, but you want to kind of get that feedback if it's going to be leaked? So this is really, I mean, the Supreme Court has been amazing at their ability to think, keep things quiet. I mean, if you remember in 2012, the Obamacare decision, the whole world was watching and waiting for the Obamacare decision, and nobody knew what it was going to be until it was actually released. And people were running with copies from the courthouse steps and quickly reading it. And uh, my goodness, how they kept that quiet. And that's really the history of the Supreme Court. Not 100 percent, but, you know, 99.9 percent that they really are good at keeping things quiet and keeping things secret. And uh, that those days are gone. So it will be very important how this got out. The, the working theory from most people, including from the left, is that this was somebody within the court, probably a clerk or somebody connected to a clerk who was upset with this decision and saw how it was going to come down and wanted to, you know, throw a hand grenade into the process, create a public outrage. I mean, that's the working theory. We don't know if that's true or not. It's conceivable, probably unlikely, but it's conceivable that somebody's email account was hacked uh, or somehow compromised. And therefore, whoever did that would have had access to this information. We don't know, but that that's, you know, not something that a lot of people are talking about. Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor of the Mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. I can already go to places that I know, like, and trust that are discussing the conspiracy theories of who may have done the leak and who clerked for who and all that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let this shake out uh, for for a day. But I, I wasn't the first person to say it, but people like Mark Levin and others are saying whoever this person is, they're going to end up with book deals and shows on MSNBC oh, oh, uh, for, yeah, yeah, for engaging saying, oh, this, uh, this, this leak. Now let's... Never clerk again. Believe me, this is going to be a very wealthy person and a hero of the left. That's the ugly, right? That's the obscenity yeah. of it all. Uh, the the violation of the trust is going to enrich a person who engages the leak because of the body politic that we're talking about. But let's take a second, sir, and let's get to uh, Roe as a case and Casey versus Planned Parenthood as, as a case. Uh, it, to in a, in a way of summation. Let's talk about what these cases are and how the Supreme Court got to the idea that Roe v. Wade meant that abortion is somehow something that is allowed in the U.S. Well, I think most people, people who are willing to be honest about it, would recognize that Roe v. Wade was in many ways a very political compromise that, you know, they picked an arbitrary viability date. They picked an arbitrary three trimester date. scenario. Uh, There's no necessary legal logic to any of that. Uh, And so I think most people say that Roe v. Wade is probably the political compromise that the justices could see pushing through and is probably the political compromise that they thought would work. Now, it hasn't worked. Opposition, the country still basically split down the middle on abortion. But 
there's no real logic. There's no constitutional logic to Roe v. Wade. You may like it politically. You may think it's a good compromise. But this whole scenario of trimester um, really doesn't have any constitutional logic to it. But the idea of that somehow it is a decision that can't be changed. Let me see if I can play this for you. This took place on MSNBC a little bit earlier uh, today. Uh, I think this was John Heilman, uh, who is the executive editor over at uh, the, the, the Recount, and he's part of that show, uh, The Circus. He does work with NBC News. Let me share this with you right here. And the horror of all this, I think, is that uh, it's demonstrated that what we have now on the Supreme Court is not a conservative majority, but a radical majority, and a majority that no longer cares about settled law and stare decisis and the settled expectations of a country and tens of millions of women who over 50 years have come to rely on a certain set of settled expectations, as they say, about, about what they can and can't do in their lives. That's what the, the court is giving the finger to now, or the majority apparently is giving the finger to. It's radical for the court to say a decision made in the past... Uh... Uh, no, no longer holds. Uh, Plessy versus Ferguson, Brown versus Board of Ed, uh, 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 amongst the things. Dred Scott, the, it's radical to make these changes. Well, you know, I, I think the standard that's being applied is if you don't like what they're deciding, then all of a sudden it's radical. I mean, you certainly could make the argument that it was radical to, you know, uh, recognize, you know, same-sex marriage. Uh, as a constitutional right, or to read a statute that says on the basis of sex to mean that that includes gender identity. Um, you could, you know, do a lot of, you could, there's a lot of decisions from the Supreme Court that people don't like, um, but this one, for whatever the reason, not whatever the reason, I mean, abortion is the core of the Democratic Party. It is what they live for, so to speak, juxtaposing it. Um, so, you know, I think they just don't like the decision and call it radical. It's some huge departure. I mean, the Supreme Court, you know, from time to time overrules prior precedent and there's standards that they apply. And if you read this Alito decision, he goes through why this decision, Roe v. Wade, is not entitled to continue. And part of that standard is it was wrongly decided. Just because the Supreme Court wrongly decides something doesn't mean they can never correct what they wrongly decided. So uh, there are standards for overruling this sort of precedent. Uh, it's not that once the court decides something, it can never be changed. That's just not the way things have ever been done. So now let's discuss the the idea of of this change. Let's say that this is legit. We're, I I understand that we're we're playing in a bit of the speculation, but it, it certainly seems that the court could have gone this way. This was. Certainly a conversation for sure. The court says uh, that Roe v. Wade was, was wrongly decided and simply the overturning of Roe v. Wade and, and, and along with uh, Casey versus Planned Parenthood, which was a little more codification and getting a little more specific on parts of Roe v. Wade, uh, says it's a state's issue. It doesn't eliminate abortion in the United States. It makes it a state's rights issue. Is there an argument that could be made by people to bring it back to the court to somehow get the court to rule in favor in their favor again uh, that somehow abortion is legal via uh, the constitution or is this as i would ha uh, always see it something that if you want to make legal go get your lawmakers to write a law and get it passed 
And in many states, it is. I mean, New York has a fairly horrendous law that was passed recently. So does Rhode Island. So do many states. I think that California's governor has promised that, you know, uh, California will become a tourist, def- uh, an abortion tourist def- uh, destination. And I think that's what you'll see. I mean, if you look at the hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars that are thrown towards left wing causes and, you know, they could certainly fund you know, transportation of people from the states that don't allow it. So I think there will be a shaking out. But I think what you'll see is in the blue states and the purple states, this will be codified into state law. And in the solid blue states, the Californias of the world, they will actually promote people coming to California uh, or coming. I think Connecticut just passed a law that it wanted to be like a sanctuary state or something like that. Uh, And so you'll see that you'll see that many states will encourage people to come there to get abortions. And this will not change that. You expect um, statements, uh, you know, regardless of the statements the the Supreme Court uh, makes, uh, would it be your take based on your knowledge of it, although not having uh, internal workings, uh, that uh, there's a conversation amongst these nine people that goes, who the hell did this? Well, there's, there's got to be. I mean, you know, they have to find out how this got out. Otherwise, you know, it'll be impossible for them to deal with each other in the future. And, you know, uh, I assume they will get the FBI involved and the FBI will interview every single pe- person in that courthouse and we'll put them under oath and we'll record the conversation. Because now if they lie, they've committed a crime, they've committed perjury, and they've also committed the crime of lying to the FBI, to the federal government, which people have gone to jail for. So uh, who, if it was somebody on the Supreme Court staff, a clerk, whoever it happened to be, they're going to have a very uncomfortable choice very soon, which is that they're either going to have to commit a felony or they're going to have to fess up or quit they, we know the FBI has already uh, been contacted. They will engage the investigation, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it the day to let uh, some of this shake out, the statements shake out, and you know, there's gonna be a lot of uh, pointing of fingers and a lot of people yeah, rushing to be first to commentary as opposed to right. Stuff so out there, pointing the finger at one particular clerk, and that's very irresponsible. We've had too many cases in the past where somebody has been mistakenly named or mistakenly identified. So, you know, I've not retweeted that. Uh, that's very irresponsible to speculate like that. We don't know who did this at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. I'd rather be right than, than first. We will keep on it. William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, LegalInsurrection.com. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We've got more. I'm Tony Katz.